Father, we thank you for loving us, and uh, we pray your blessings on our study and help us to just learn more about you and our relationship with you and um, to help us worship. And bless all the people that were mentioned, uh, Susan's dad, pray for him and uh, for Anita and uh, the, the family, the, those little babies, um, one is still living, we lift them up to you and uh, we pray for Jacob and his wife and Lord, I just pray that you would um, uh, open his ears to hear the gospel and save him and change him and uh, all of his family. And Lord, um, bless Miss Crawford and Cook family, everybody else that we've talked about. If I've missed anybody, I, I just pray your blessings on them and continue to help our own families and uh, help us to learn uh, how to be um, good fathers, mothers, um, all the roles that we play that uh we would just be pleasing in your sight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I won't go all the way back through this, but we're in chapter 16, the chapter on good works. Chapter 16, and basically what I did last week, because we had some new people, I went through that, kind of, I kind of real, did a real quick uh, run through the entire um confession i won't do that but um i do want to point out this by the time we get to 16 chapters 10 through 15 um are all about something that happens to us from outside of us in other words something that god does to us it's all it all starts with language that be, that's part of if y'all remember this phrase the order of salutis which is the order of salvation so in other words chapters 10 through 15 have a lot to do um with effectual calling and its various elements like justification, adoption, sanctification, faith, repentance. That last chapter was about repentance. So you see what I'm saying? Those chapters are all about God's saving work and effectual call on our lives and how um, that affects us, essentially. And so um, I was trying to look back and see. Uh, yeah, effectual calling, justification, adoption. That's what That's the title of all those chapters. So... Um, and it's, it's good that the confession, and really it's been doing this all the while from chapter 1 to 16, it's been laying this groundwork and every now and then it'll sneak in language that reminds us that we're not capable of doing good. You know, like back in chapter 7, the, the, it says something like uh, the, sp the, the span between us and God is so great that there's nothing we could ever do to make that gap up. I, I don't remember the exact um, wording um, it might be good for me to look at it instead of misquoting it. Uh, I think it's 7 and 2. It's about the covenant. It's this, um, maybe it's 7 1. Yeah. Uh, we're responsible to obey God, but the distance between us and God is so great that, they, that we can never have attained reward of life except by God's voluntary condescension, which is <coughs> his um, coming down. Sorry. And he expresses that through covenant framework. So all, all the while, there's these little things stuck in there to let us know. And there's even, a, we, we looked at a chapter before that started in chapter 9 about free will. You know, and it's interesting that they started out with, all right, let's talk about man and where he is in this condition of lostness. And now we're going to talk about the order of salvation and these things that God does for us, justifying us, adopting us, sanctifying us, and giving us repentance 
and they do all that before they get to this chapter on good works. And so um, I think it's just important to point that out and see that um, good works have no place in the discussion about effectual calling and justification. But now that we're past all that, we can talk about it, right? And that's kind of been the groundwork we've been trying to lay through this whole thing. And I know that there's been a few here at times that um, couldn't really understand what I, what I was saying and what the confession was saying because I kept getting this question. You mean what we do don't matter? Our works don't count? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that we, we too easily get it in the wrong order. And we, we talk about pietism or um, even without knowing it. And we, and we basically, you know, preaching can become just a list of do's and uh, sort of formulas for how to be a better this and how to be a better that and sort of, uh, uh, hey, here's what I do well, so you should do these things too. And and I think what the, the writers of the Confession are trying to really, of course, they were fighting a lot of battles during their day, but they're really trying to point out, especially against the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church at the time, hey, we can't talk about good works and human responsibility until we've got the idea of who God is and salvation, justification, all those things correct. And then once we do, now we can talk about works, our works, the things that we do. And um, let's see, let's look at uh, section one. Good works are only those works that God has commanded in his holy word. Works that do not have this warrant are invented by people out of blind zeal or uh, on a pretense of good intentions, and they are not truly good. Um, now, that's interesting, but it, it basically boils down to two things. If we're going to talk about good works, one, good works, according to the confession, by people are limited to actions that have been commanded by God in his holy word and called such by God. Now, we can do nice things, but if it's considered a good work, and again, these are not good works that lead to salvation. These are good works that come out of salvation, right? They proceed from it. But in order for us to even think that we've done something that's good, and we have to be careful even thinking that, even if we're able to stand back and go, wow, what I would just participate in, what I did, was a good thing according to God's word. It has to be something that God called and commanded. And so, all, and so not only that, but that section one also um, reminds us that only God speaking in scripture can rightly define and command good works. So we don't get to define them. God's already defined them. And there's some, uh, there's some passages right there that points out, um, I think we read those together last time, but Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Those are good works. If you find yourself doing those things, you can say those are good works. But what we're going to find out, the confession continues to say, even when you're doing those things, and if they are good, there's a good uh, chance that you might have done them with wrong intentions or you even thought poorly or badly, but the good that's done in you is done by Christ, right? So anything good in me is Christ. So, uh, and I think Hebrews 13 uh, kind of says that. 1321, uh, that God may equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So even when God's will is doing 
through us, and we're doing the good works that he has commanded, it's the will of God working through us, right? It's that Ephesians 2.10. The, we are made, um, we are created in Christ Jesus under good works, that we might walk in them. Okay? And it keeps, uh, there's some more references there. Any question about that? disagree with that but I don't think it's gray I mean I think and I think the confession goes to a lot of um, trouble to get us to there to make us understand that yes that is keeping us humble so that even if we do see good work I find myself humble before God or I find myself um, doing justice or any of the stuff that Christ commanded obeying his commands if I find myself obeying his commands I know that that is Christ in me causing me to do that. And I rejoice in it. But as the as the confession will point out, the Spirit has to make you do these things. And I know people don't like to use that phrase, make you, but you can use whatever you want to. The Spirit has to do it. But the confession is clear, but you shouldn't sit around waiting on the Spirit to do something in order to obey what you know to obey. I mean, you know, Jesus says, speak the truth in love. You're supposed to speak the truth in love even if you don't feel like it. And Yes. And one of the things that um, I've been, I read this Renahan uh, commentary a lot on this confession. He pointed this out, that this doctrine of good works, and especially looking at the good works this way, that God gets to define them and only God in his word defines them, is critical because it cuts to the heart of man-centered religion. Humanity seeks to do two things. One, reject God's way, and two, follow his own way. So men have devised a variety of religious acts, philanthropies, and good deeds without reference to Scripture. And that's the key that I would say, again, like what your friend was talking about. Okay, you can't say it's gray. The Bible's black and white. And the confession says, don't call anything good that God hasn't called good. Um, but because, and I think for the reason it points out here, if you're not careful, I mean, you have Confucius or you have Buddha, you have whoever deciding, okay, here's what it means to be good. Here are good works. And, or the Catholic Church, heavenly days. Here's all these things. You got to go to Rome. You got to make these pilgrimages. You got to, you know, kiss this and touch that and all these things. And this is not what God has commanded in the scriptures. So, uh, I think it's very important to remember that um, because men will take these acts and these good works that they've come up with and they'll build a religion out of it foolishly thinking that God will accept them because they performed these deeds. It's kind of like that's what the Pharisees did, right? They they had the scriptures, but 
But then they added to it, made up laws and rules. Yeah, well, it, yeah, I think it was a high number. And then they, and that's exactly what they were doing, thinking, well, God will accept us because look at, we don't only keep his law, we go above and keep even more than his law. And we've come up with all these good deeds, you know, not look in a mirror in the morning or whatever they come up with. Um, Martin Luther did the same thing. Yes. Yeah. He was calling out the Catholic Church saying, this isn't in the Bible, this indulgences and praying yeah. to the dead and then all this. And it sparked the whole Reformation because of that. And so they're very serious about this. And, and you know, I think it's why, uh, I mean, people get angry when you talk about this. And I've had some people, at least in a harsh tone, I want, I, what I do counts. Well, yeah. I'm not, I mean, what we do matters. You know, everything we do, whether it's good or bad, it matters. But we so want, to think that what we're doing is better than everybody else. Well, I keep these rules. You know, I can I can do this. I'm not like you. Um, the Pharisees that yeah. About. Yeah, and it, it is. I checklist. And it, and it, you know, it should, I think what the confession helps do, do is keep us in between both ditches. The ditch of, um, what's the word, that means you don't really care. Yeah, and complacency and just even obstinacy, just, meh. You know, because that's what sometimes we're accused of. We all just teach people to live how you want to. It don't matter because of grace. That's not true. But it also keeps us from falling in the ditch on the other side, thinking that we're doing so much better than everybody around us. And if there's any good in us, it is Christ working in us. Um... This is what Paul said to Israel, Romans, about Israel, Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my, my heart's desire for you, this is verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. <clears throat> for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And it's still true for Israel today. They have chosen to ignore God's righteousness. And they have a knowledge, but it's not God's knowledge. So again, that's why the, that's why the confession says here, hey, if we're going to talk about good works, first of all, good works are what God has commanded in his word and nowhere else. We don't get to just make up what we decide is good. Now again, we can do nice things. Um, and a lot of times, anything that we have a heart to do that's good for other people in the sense that we use the word good, um, these are probably things that do fall under some of God's commands, right? Nothing else, just loving your neighbor as yourself um, and so forth. So, uh, so was that Romans 10? 10, 1 through 4. Mm -hmm. But I think it is good to always, I mean, to not shy away from talking about good works because good works are important. Um, he says that we prepare the good yeah. works that we should walk in them, right? That's right. He made us, we were created in Christ Jesus to walk in them. 11.2 of the confession says, um, 
Faith that receives and rests on Christ and his righteousness is the only instrument of justification. Yet it does not occur by itself in the person justified, but it is always accompanied by every other saving grace. It's not a dead faith, but works through love, which you can kind of hear James right there, right? Mm -hmm. You show me your faith. Uh, I, I mean, I'll show you my faith by my works. So I love that it points that out. We, uh, the grace that saves us is never alone. It is accompanied by every other saving grace so that we don't have a dead faith. We have a faith that works. And these good works, though, that are performed by believers, they're not natural, they're supernatural. So I think that's the thing to remember. If I do good, what God calls good in his word, that's a supernatural act. So I can't get credit for it. Because of my flesh, I don't want to do what's good and right. I mean, doesn't the Bible say that? There are none who do good, not one. None even seek after God. So if I find myself seeking after God, then there's got to be a reason for that. Um, let's look at section two right quick. These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are fruit and evidence of a true and living faith. So there it is. Through good works, believers express their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, build up their brothers and sisters, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of opponents, and glorify God. Believers are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that they bear fruit leading to holiness and have the outcome of eternal life. So that's where I think people get confused. They see things in the Bible like, do this and you shall live, or do this and you will be saved. And so what man does is say, oh, okay, well, there's what, if I do that, then God will save me. <coughs> Sorry. My list. I like yeah. my list. <coughs> but basically what, he, what it's saying to us is it's the, it's the doctrine of perseverance. If you find yourself doing these works, then they will, that's because you belong to God. And so, uh, and, I, and, and also I think it's, like it says to us here, um, Good works strengthen our assurance, which brings joy. So when we find ourselves doing the good things that God has commanded, it helps give us assurance. It doesn't save us. It's that, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <clears throat> How do I do that? Well, I look and see what works of God he's doing through me. How do you reconcile all these other people that are doing good works that aren't believers? Oh, um, I'll just let the are confession they, tell you. Look at section seven. Works done by unregenerate people may in themselves be commanded by God and useful to themselves and others. Yet, they do not come from a heart purified by faith and are not done in a right manner according to the word, nor for a right goal, which is the glory of God. Therefore, they are sinful and cannot please God. They cannot qualify anyone to receive grace from God. And yet, if they neglect to do it, that's even more sinful and displeasing to God. So that's kind of tough. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So see there, even like uh, the Bible teaches, um, even unbelievers are without excuse. But they can do, you, and we may look around, and because you're, you're right, you can look sometime and see somebody that you know is not a believer, and yet they're doing good things. 
even things that you could say were commanded in Scripture, like loving a neighbor or feeding the hungry or whatever. And they should be doing that, but they're not pleasing God in doing that because they can't do it to the glory of God because they're not His. Um, so that's interesting you asked that question because the confession... Yeah, they obviously had that question asked them too. Wow. I haven't been sneezing. I've been kind of feeling thing for two days, but this is the first time I started sneezing. I can't. I just want to come back over and over. Uh, let's see here. Where did I get to? Okay. Well, that little list right there is helpful, I think. Um, our new life brings many blessings. Um it, it helps us, it manifests our thankfulness to God for his blessings. So in a lot of ways, uh, when we worship, that's a good work. Um, in fact, one of the words in the New Testament for worship means to work or to serve. And so one of the ways, when we're worshiping, um, that's, a, that's a good work. And when we're truly worshiping, however that happens, that's a gift from God. It's not something you can drum up. You know, it, um, it bothers me to be at something, whether it's some kind of meeting or a church service, and like people up there commanding you, worship God. And, and they equate that with closing their eyes or raising their hands or something. And, you know, if people do that, <clears throat> I, I'm not here to question that. But that's not worship. That That's not, worship is something that, I don't think you, well, no, you can't make somebody do it. You can't command somebody to worship and they worship. <clears throat> I feel like it's kind of like repentance. It's kind of like true prayer. When you've been some, when you've been to church and you've been with the people of God and we've communed together and we've had communion together, we've sang and admonished and exhorted one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we've heard the word, we've read it together. If if God does something, you may not can even explain it, but you know that you've worshipped. And maybe you didn't you didn't do that last week, but it's not because you just decided, well, I think I'll worship today. And so I think it's a lot like prayer, like uh, Romans uh, 7 talks about the Spirit makes utterances on our behalf because we don't even know what we ought to say to God. And there's times when I pray that it's just empty and worthless words, I feel like. And there's other times when I pray and like, wow, that, I mean, that was the Spirit of God communing with me. And it's not about how I say it or how loud it is or anything. You know what I mean? So I think worship's the same way. Um, uh, and, and I like that it says here, our good works edify the brethren. In other words, it's a way to build each other up. So our good works are important because they build each other up. Um, they glorify God. They build each other up. Um, it adorns the profession of the gospel, which again, like James said, in other words, it, if, you, if you make a profession that you're a, a Christ follower, then there ought to be good works that follow that. Now again, I don't. I think that's what God does in you. It's not that. Well, I'm a Christian, so now I've decided I'm gonna start doing good things. No, it's that God changed your life and gave you a new life, and so now you do different things than you used to. And sometimes He He keeps adding to those. I like what it says here that it stops the mouths of adversaries. So, um, and there's that verse right there in First Timothy. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 1. Uh, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And in 1 Peter 2, 15, 
Um, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So it really is true when people say stuff like, I mean, sometimes we only hear the negative side. We know the church, the way people in the church live, it makes people not want to go to church. Okay, but really, the way we live ought to, according to Scripture, silence ignorant people who are just speaking out of turn and, you know, stuff like, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. Okay, well, that's true, and, and we are. At times, all of us are hypocritical. But there ought to be good works in our lives, and, and we have to trust God to produce good works in our lives so that, for the most part, uh, foolish people don't have a lot to say against the church. And I think that's why we have to be careful to be scriptural and be scriptural out of love, especially, I, mean, I haven't really done a whole lot of it, but you know, if I, if I teach on something like um, sexual purity or, or gender identity or um, you know, that whole thing that's out there, it's important that we do it scripturally and we do it lovingly so again, um, that good work of the gospel being proclaimed will silence foolish talk. Now, people might be mad and angry, but, you know, if I get up here and just start screaming stuff like we've all heard before, you know, making fun of or talking poorly about whatever, homosexuality, and uh, what is that saying that people used to, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or something like that. I mean, that's not helpful. You know, a scriptural, honest look at what does God say about sexuality and what does he expect from his people um, in a loving way is because more and more people that come to our church are going to be affected by that in some way. <clears throat> and they already, uh, some already are. And so we have to be very careful, um, you know, until you meet somebody. I, I, I was talking to a mother not long ago who has a son that is struggling with all that kind of stuff. And she said, you know, I'm really, I mean, I'm a Christian and I go to church and I serve in the church, but I'm afraid for my son to come to some church services because I don't know what people are going to say about that. She said, I would love for him to come and hear an honest biblical um, explanation and exegesis uh, about what God says about that. But I'm, she said, I'm just so afraid that somebody's going to say something, you know, that's just off color and off the wall. And, um, I mean, I took, I remember not too many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I took, I took kids to conferences and I took some kids with me to a conference, at least two girls that I know that had been, um, struggling with all that. Even back, what is, I mean, good night. This is 17, 16 years ago. And they've been telling everybody that they were gay and so forth. And I was thankful that they came with me to this conference and one of the speakers there, this is a Southern Baptist Conference, I mean, one of them literally, during his preaching, was telling jokes, like gay jokes, and saying bad things about people being gay. I mean, like, you know, making people laugh. But I was just devastated. You know, I thought, God. You know, because I've been very careful about that, and I wanted them, I was so excited about them coming, I couldn't believe that this... And this guy don't really is not really in ministry anymore. He don't need to be for a lot of reasons. But I was just astounded that I mean you you've got like five thousand kids out here in this auditorium, and that's what you want to do. I mean, you don't think anybody out here struggling with that? You know, this world we live in, people are it's all around them. But encouraged. Yes, it's encouraged. So 
Um, anyways, I don't know how I got off on that. Oh yeah, section three. Let's see if we can read through. Their ability to do good works does not arise at all from themselves, but entirely from the Spirit of Christ. So this is what we've been saying. The Spirit of Christ enables them to do good works that they need in addition to the graces they have already received. They, let me reread that. To enable them to do good works, they need, in addition to graces they already have received, an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them, to will and to do His good pleasure. So that's kind of what I said earlier, right? I mean, God saves us, but it's not like um, God saves us and that's it. Every, and I've even said this before and I've heard it said and it's, it's not really true. Well, I know it's not true at all. You got everything you need when you got saved. That's true. You were justified. There's nothing else need to be done. But God does continue to give us grace, right? I mean, we do the supper every Sunday because we think that's a means of grace. We preach because that's a means of grace. God continues to pile it on. And so what it says here is that above and beyond what you've already received, that justification, and when the Lord saved you, you need an actual influence of the Holy Spirit that's within you to will and to do his good pleasure. And that's that verse we read earlier said that, right? I don't remember where it was. Maybe it was in Hebrews. But anyways, I think that's well written right there. But then it goes on to say, yet this is no reason for them to grow negligent, as if they were not required to perform any duty without a special motion of the Spirit. So you're not allowed to sit around and say, I'm wait, just waiting on the Lord to move. No, you know to obey. So obey. And even if you obey, and most of it's sinful, you know, you even do it with a bad attitude, she'll do it. You don't have an excuse to say, I'm just waiting on the Spirit to, you know, make me want to love my neighbor, make me want to um, follow the commands of Jesus. No, he will do that, but you don't have an excuse to not do anything. But it says, instead, you should be diligent to stir up the grace of God that is in you. <coughs> And then I think we read this one last week. Those who attain the greatest heights of obedience possible in this life are far from being able to merit reward by going beyond duty or to do more than God requires. Instead, they still fall short of much that is their duty to do. So if you got, you know, this would have been great for the Pharisees to read. I don't care how great you've been. You're still falling so short of the glory of God it's not even close. For all sin to fall short of the glory of God. And so if somehow you make it to some place to think, Wow, you know, I've got this Christianity thing down. I've been living this life for a long time. And man, I'm, I'm doing well. Well, you're not going to merit any reward from God. And don't ever worry about going too overboard. So you're never going to have to stop and say, man, I've obeyed God so much, I'm going to back off a little bit. That's what it's saying. You're not going to have to worry about that. You haven't ever done more than God requires. And I think we all know that. Um, number five, we cannot even by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life from God's hand. Due to the huge disproportion between our works and the glory to come and the infinite distance between us and God, by these works we can neither benefit God nor satisfy him from the debt, for the debt of our former sins. When we have done all we can, we have only done our duty and our unprofitable servants. Since our good works are good, they must proceed from his spirit. And since they are performed by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot withstand the severity of God's punishment. 
You see how the, they go to great pains to make sure you don't get this mixed up, right? So even if you think you're doing good, if you have done good, it's the spirit of the Lord within you that's done good. And even then, when you've done good, you've, it's mixed with so much defilement that if it were not for God doing it, your everything you've done will burn up. And I can't. I can't. So you see the character of God in talking about this because you see His sovereignty, you see His grace, you see His mercy. You know, you see His foreknowledge. Yeah. And I kind of see in this. I kind of hear. And I don't know if they put it. I don't see the verse. <clears throat> I kind of think about the great the uh, judgment seat of Christ, First Corinthians fifteen, in this. When we stand before God and give an account of all things we've done in the body, whether evil or good, and then it talks about uh, these things, um, burn, some things will be burned up. Um, what's that, that passage? It may be sitting here somewhere. Um, but anyways, I, I personally think that's kind of what the judgment seat of Christ is about for believers. Everything we've ever done is just going to burn away. The only thing left is Christ. So the only thing left that's good is Christ. So when you you know people look at that and say, well, I want to do good because, and I had this discussion with somebody not too long ago, you know, the, the things I don't do right are going to burn up, but things I've done well are going to stand. Well, it, you know, like this says, even when you did really well, it's so defiled and mixed up with your sinfulness. Because our motives. Yeah. What's your motive? Your motives look good before God? That's right. Hello, that doesn't look good before God. So, yeah, that's kind of what I think, that everything else is wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll burn but that which is Christ will stand because we're not going to be, there is no condemnation against us. We're not going to the judgment seat to receive any kind of condemnation. Um, we're not going to stand before God in any kind of judgment of sin because Christ has paid for it. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. They grow up together and then he burns the tears. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is referring to the same thing. I mean, I think there's only one judgment. And God comes, he judges the, he judges the quick and the dead, and he judges, raises up the dead, and judges them, and the, the goats he puts on one side and the sheep on the other. And I, there's no way we can be condemned. So I don't see, that there's no way we're going to stand before God and be ashamed of anything because the only reason we can stand is because of Christ. But I thought about that when I read that, uh, number, number five right there too, I thought about John Bunyan saying, even my uh, even my greatest prayer is tainted with so much sin, with enough sin to, to condemn the whole world to hell. And um, I remember I quoted that one time in a church, and somebody said, I, I don't understand that at all. I don't know what you're talking about, prayer full of sin. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Because I, I can tell you about mine. Because I, sometimes I can't even, you know, I don't even, Pray. I'm praying, and before I know it, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow, and <coughs> you know. <coughs> so, you know, it's amazing what we've convinced ourselves of. But we've convinced ourselves of this because of pietistic religion and pietistic preaching. And we've taught people, hey, here, you know, I used to laugh about this in my Baptist church growing up. We had our church covenant on the wall, and what our church covenant was was just ten things we don't do. Yes. You know, that was the church covenant. Yeah, it was a list of things that we do not do. We don't buy or sell alcohol. We don't, yeah. you know, whatever. I don't remember them all. And that's why I made our confession positive. No, our covenant together is the things we do, not the things we abstain from. 
Because the thing, the truth is, I can't abstain from anything apart from the grace of God, but what we are supposed to be doing is striving together in these things like he's talking about. Spirit prompts us, we do it. When the Spirit don't prompt us, we should still be doing it. Um, and even when we don't feel like it. But anyways, it's time to go. I'm going to run over time. I thought I'd get all the way through. To, how many more? You didn't get through it last week. I know. I got further in this one. Oh, I did? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's only a couple left, and uh, I really was hoping everybody would be here because I wanted to have, I thought we would have a great discussion about this, and we, and y'all have had good discussion about it, and I've enjoyed it.